Good morning, Asbury. It's my first time on campus, and I am humbled and honored any time I get to hold the Word of God in my hand, but to do so in front of people who are studying it and feeling the call of God upon your life to share it in some way, uh, locally or across the globe, through business or education or pulpit, uh, I'm, I'm just honored to get to stand here and hold this Word in front of you today and be the spokesman for the moment. Thanks for joining me. Do you have an option? I don't know. Anyway, um, have you been to a high school or college graduation ceremony in the last 20 years in the public sector? Some of you have. I think we all heard the same speech. I haven't been to one in Kentucky, but let me just try this out. I I think the same speech has been circulating through the uh, public graduation ceremonies over the last years, and I can give it to you in 20 seconds. See if you recognize this, all right? Students, you have an unlimited reservoir of human potential within you. To accomplish any dream, to overcome any obstacle, all you have to do is believe in yourself and you can accomplish anything in this world. Go students. (laughs) Well, thank you. I take it that you recognize that speech. Well, my question is, how's that working? You know, maybe, maybe in your 18s, graduating from high school, in your 20s, or whatever, graduating from university, you think you have some unlimited reservoir of human potential. But I've got some bad news for the, and great news for the young adults in this room. Sometime in your 30s, you're going to wake up tired. <laughs> right, Ed Mangum? <laughs> and, and you're going to look in the mirror someday, and you're going to think, oh, great. If all I have is what I find in here, I'm in trouble. And I want to announce to America, yes, officially you are in trouble if all you have is what you find in yourself. You're in trouble in this life and the life to come. But those of us who are followers of Jesus have a completely different message, don't we? It's not just a human potential squeeze something more out of your weary soul. No, 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 no. Our our message is actually, I need help. I'm not trying to do this on my own. I'm not trying to live life on my own. I'm not trying to do marriage on my own. I'm not trying to get to heaven on my own. I'm acknowledging that I'm somebody who needs help. Now, there's pushback at times. That sounds weak. And actually, I like that pushback because, (laughs) yep, guilty, pinned, I'm weak. (laughs) And I'm not trying to pretend anything different. I'm too weak to live like I really want to live, too too weak to love like I really want to love, too weak to do marriage, too weak to get to heaven. I'm, I'm too weak for about anything of significance in this life, and that's why I'm very happy to have given myself to someone who is not weak, but is the one whom we just declared in this beautiful creed. I'm a happy follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm not a reluctant follower of Jesus. I'm a happy follower of Jesus. And, and I find in then Psalm 23 some beautiful teaching, which, by the way, did anybody have the reaction within your mind or soul as that was read? The, he's not really going to preach on Psalm 23, is he? Isn't that one for, like, funerals? <laughs> or the been there, done that, got that one already figured out kind of thing. Well, I love the way the Word of God is able to be fresh to us and that new insights can be given. So would you trust God for that as we go to the 23rd Psalm and talk about the shepherd that, to whom we have given our lives. Um, the, the, the whole idea that, that this Psalm presents to us is that if you... Follow this shepherd. He lets you know in advance the kind of places that he's going to lead you. 
I was speaking at a men's retreat uh, one time in Washington State, and the opening gathering was in a dining hall that was very noisy, and the leader didn't have a microphone, was having a hard time getting the guy's attention, and, uh, and unsuccessfully, when all of a sudden, from somewhere in the room came this primal scream uh, from deep within a very large voice, this hell kind of scream, and everybody turned around and looked, what was that? And here was this man with a big, wide-rimmed hat and a long trench coat who called himself Super Dave. I get nervous anytime somebody needs an adjective in front of their name, all right? <laughs> mean Joe, Crazy Bob, Cerebral Steve, whatever it is. You know, I, 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 sorry, I, but I, uh, I get nervous anytime there's a name, need, an adjective needed. And so Super Dave, that just kind of put me on edge. The hat, the coat, the scream, the name. I was just, I'm going to be with this group of guys the whole weekend. I thought, I'm going to keep my eye on this guy. And so I was walking by, and his voice just carried across the campgrounds, wherever he was. He was standing on the porch talking to a friend, and I wasn't even in the conversation, but this is the conversation I heard. He said, yeah, I was reading Psalm 23, and it said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why would I have a shepherd I don't want? I'm starting to think, I might like this guy after all. And then he said, but I read it in a different version. It said, the Lord is my shepherd. I'll have everything I need. Oh, that made sense to me. I later found out that he, that he had learned that uh, in ancient times, fathers would write a commentary on the Old Testament uh, for their sons. And so he was 700 pages into a handwritten commentary on the Old Testament for his son. He was into the book of Isaiah when he found out that during history, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but what he told me was that during history, when that was taking place, all they had was a Pentateuch. <laughs> and he could have stopped after Deuteronomy. But anyway, so, <laughs> so I'm... Uh, I'll come back to Dave, but, but I, I loved his perception that, that I have a shepherd, therefore I have what I need. Let's look at these verses, and where is this shepherd who provides for us? Where is he going to take us in life? This isn't an all-inclusive, comprehensive list, but I've, this is an exceedingly poignant list for those of us who have chosen to follow the shepherd. First place, he says he's going to lead us is where? Green pastures, gentle streams. Kind of sounds like Kentucky to me. <laughs> but the point of that is he restores my soul. Your shepherd knows that this world is a very difficult place for the human soul. I don't believe we were ever designed to live in the world as it exists. I believe we were designed to live in the Garden of Eden, and we messed up the Garden of Eden, so now we live in the world as it exists now. And your shepherd knows that this world is a very troublesome place for the human soul. We get weary in this world. Some of you didn't get out of second grade, literally. You didn't get out of second grade before you found out this is a pretty difficult environment. You were getting beat up young in a very tender, deep place. And as we go on, we find out that there's a lot of wearying factors in this world. And your shepherd knows this. And he wants to lead you to those places of soul renewal. This is just who he is. This is his heart for you. He wants your soul to be restored. He wants to lead you to those places 
do you know yourself well enough to even know what those places are? Some healthy self-awareness is a great thing to walk away from seminary with. And I, I couldn't tell you by the time I was 35 what restored my soul because I didn't know I had permission to be tired. <laughs> uh, your shepherd wants to lead you to places of soul renewal, especially those of you who are going into church ministry. Can I say that the church is too important to be led by weary leaders? But church ministry itself is a wearying task. It's a tiring call to be engaging with people on deepest soul levels and in one day to grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice and try not to complain with those who complain and, and to do it all in the midst of a day, you know. And, and it's a tiring place, but the church is too important to be led by weary leaders, so you have to find this shepherd who wants to take you to those places on a regular basis where your soul gets restored. Personally, for me, one of the most significant spiritual disciplines that I engage in on a regular basis is Sabbath. I might offend, but not as defined by some, a certain day of the week and a certain set of activities, but I define it as uh, hearing God's permission to not achieve anything one day in seven. And... By the way, the word Shabbat, as I understand it, cease, desist, stop, quit in the Hebrew. Uh, suppose you end up with an occupation where you have, uh, you sit in meetings and you sit and answer emails and you sit and counsel and you sit and study and you sit and sit and sit. Perhaps your Shabbat should be to get out of a chair and go explore the beautiful world that God's created. That's how I use most of my Sabbaths because most of my days are sitting on airplanes and sitting in meetings and sitting, sitting, sitting. And so it's very sabbatical for me to go and stretch legs and breathe air and explore places and uh, commune with God and in his creation. Do you know yourself well enough to know it restores your soul? Would you know that your shepherd wants, you to, wants to lead you to places of soul renewal? Next, where does he lead us? What's the next verse say? Righteous paths? Guides us in paths of righteousness? Yes. That, that your shepherd knows that in this world there's always forks in the road. There's, there's always an unrighteous path available for us, but he's promising to you that at every moment of your spiritual journey, there is always a righteous option as well. Satan doesn't want you to know that. Satan wants you to believe that at any given moment, there is no other choice. You, the only option available for you is this unrighteous option, but your shepherd has promised that at every juncture of life, Every moment of life, there is a righteous path available to, to you, and he wants to lead you in those paths of righteousness, the paths that make you free and alive and, and fully who you are, the, the paths that, that keep restoring your soul rather than the unrighteous paths that put you into a place of bondage, that make us smaller, that make us petty little people. But guess what happens? If you didn't follow your shepherd to the quiet streams, the green pastures, the restored soul, and your soul is weary, 
And now you're at that intersection. Is not the path of unrighteousness all the more tempting? Would any of us acknowledge? I certainly will, that when my soul is weary, the unrighteous option shouts a lot louder to me. You'll feel better fast if you do this. You're tired. You deserve this. This will make you feel good quick. The lies that Satan brings to us. But your shepherd says, I've got a better option at every moment. So when that computer screen beckons or that obsession calls or that spirit within you just wants to bring some revenge or gossip to a situation because you're just sick of this. Uh, your shepherd has a righteous path. He has a better option. And he's probably going to loop you right back to get your soul restored because <laughs> he wants you living out of a fresh and alive place, not out of a barely hanging on to the last squeeze of a sponge kind of place. You got a good shepherd. He is sweet. He knows our needs. So, he's going to lead you down to, to the soul restorative places. He's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. What comes next? The, the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> time out, time out. How did we end up here? <laughs> I'm serious. Just a few moments ago, we were at righteous, I mean, we, we were righteous paths and gentle waters, quiet streams, green pastures. How did I end up in Death Valley? I don't want to be here. I'm not speaking theoretically right now. Uh, as a 47-year-old pastor of a Christian Missionary Alliance church in Oregon, I was uh, happily married, raising three kids, running ultra marathons. Those are races for guys too stupid to stop at 26 miles. So I just kept running 50, 60 kilometers, was, was loving life. Uh, and just everything was good. Notice I had a little rash on my body one day, blamed my wife, Joanna. How's that for a nice husband, huh? I thought she changed the laundry detergent. She hadn't. And so uh, I was actually getting very sick and didn't know it. So within one week's time, I went from being able to run, uh, you know, 50, 60 kilometers to not being able to drive a car. Something was attacking my muscular system very rapidly. I would soon be hospitalized and um, would spend 77 days in the hospital. Numerous times Joanna was uh, brought back into the room. If you want to say your goodbyes, now would be the time to say them, was, was uh, the situation. Five days of unconsciousness, uh, tracheotomy, various uh, forms of keeping me alive on every piece of equipment they had in the place. And uh, after, but I, I must testify, I must testify. It is a sweet thing to be on your deathbed and for death to be the least of your worries. My shepherd, my shepherd knows his way all the way through Death Valley. He's the only shepherd who's ever made it all the way through, come out on the other side and told us about it. <laughs> He's the only one who knows his way all the way through the valley. You need not fear. He knows the route well. He's the conqueror over it. 
It's a sweet thing to be on your deathbed and for death to be the least of your worries. But as long as you're still afraid to die, you're really not free to live. New Testament says that he came to free those, right, Hebrews? He came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. But as long as you're no longer afraid to die, now you're really free to live. Right before the service, uh, my friend who read the scripture uh, said, what did that experience, how did that shape your leadership? And I could probably give a lot of answers. The quick two that I gave him were, I know it made me more compassionate. I didn't have a lot of understanding and empathy before for those who are suffering. But the second is, <clears throat> issues just don't seem as big a deal to me now. <laughs> you know, those things that really rattled me as a pastor, like, oh no, we don't have enough. Uh, once you look death in the eye, some of those little debates on the elder board just didn't seem to be quite as consequential. You know? Why am I getting quite so rattled about that when you know, the big issues have already been taken care of? Your shepherd knows his way all the way through Death Valley. You can follow him. Next, verse 5. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, please picture this to the best of your capability. You prepare. It's not just a random, oh, I happen to stumble across, but this is a prepared table. And what is on that table? Well, uh, there's evidently a cup or some sort of a container for beverage because it says that my cup is, is overflowing. If I understand the root word of that, it's kind of like it can't contain any more saturated kind of idea. Have you been to a restaurant that says free refills? Right? Well, that's only as good as the service that's provided. You know, your cup's been, your coffee or your soda's been empty for 20 minutes and it's like, well, it would, uh, somebody, please? And but in a really good restaurant, you take two sips and boom, somebody's right over your shoulder and they're filling up right back up again, right? Well, how good's this restaurant? <laughs> it's so good you can't keep up with it. You can't drink fast enough. There's so much coming at you. And what's this pouring down your head? Oil. Who is that for? Not McDonald's. <laughs> not, not your routine. Every... This is a priesthood or royalty? This, it could be argued, I would say, that this is a table set for a king or a queen or the children of royalty. This is a feast. And did you notice the location of the table? In the presence of enemies. <laughs> uh, would you choose that restaurant? You picking that one? Now, now, if you're a shepherd, let's think very practically here. You're David, you're a shepherd. Who would be some of your enemies as a shepherd? Wolves, tigers, lions, bears, things with big teeth that drool and growl a lot and want to eat you, okay? Those would be enemies in his world, but that's not our environment, yet we still have enemies. Relational challenges, financial challenges, health challenges, that C word, cancer, enters into our storyline. We, we have enemies. And when we have an enemy, what do we want God to do? 
Take care of the enemy. Get rid of the enemy. And go, Lord, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want this. Pay that bill. Solve that problem. Resolve that tension. Heal this disease. We, we go after that in prayer. And we should. We're invited to come to him as our healer and our provider and our peacemaker. We're invited to come to him with all of our needs. But some of us, myself included, can get so focused on the enemy, we miss what's at the table. You prepare a table before me. Now, when I was a kid growing up in Minnesota and my mom said, time to eat, I only wanted to know one thing. Was the food on the counter or was the food on the table? Anybody at home like this? That if the food was on the counter, yes, I got to just grab it, take it wherever I want, go do my thing, didn't have to worry about it. If it was on the table, oh, great. It's going to have to wait. I was the youngest of six children. We're going to have to wait until everybody was seated. Dad would pray. Dad was a pastor. would pray long prayers. We'd have to pass all the food around, wait till everybody was done eating, pass it around a second time because Dad always wanted to have seconds. And then he'd break out the Bible and we'd have the daily bread or whatever. We'd have family devotions and pray. I, this took forever for the life of a nine-year-old. A tenth of my life was just spent right here at this table. This is awful. I just want to go play. Your shepherd has set a table for you. And I think part of that metaphor could properly be interpreted as saying, pull up a chair, sit down. We might be here a while. Because there are some lessons that can only be learned, some experiences with God that can only be gained as we're seated at that table. I just want him to take care of the enemy. Isn't there a drive through here? Can I get this to go, please? No, no, pull up a chair, sit down. We might be here a while. Now, if you're a, this is a weird thing to ask you to imagine, but if you're a demonic enemy trying to bring down a Christian, could you imagine how irritating it would be to be coming at you with all of these forces, all of these issues, all of these things coming into your life, and the person is sitting there saying, dude, look at this. This is an amazing table. Well, look at your provision for me. This is fabulous. Oh, shut up. This is fabulous. I love this. That would be so irritating for a demonic force. See, here's the principle from the New Testament, First, Second Peter 1. You have been given everything you need to live today well. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. It's all provided for you at the table. And if we're so focused on the enemy, we're going to miss what's at the table. And there are some things that in the year and a half that followed after that 77 days of hospitalization, as I was on a feeding tube and in a wheelchair, and my wife was my caregiver, and I had to resign from being a pastor, and I was sequestered from, from life. There were some things during that 18-month period that can that I missed, frankly, for the first six months as I was fighting and wrestling and grappling, maybe nine months. But, but there came a moment in time where I started to settle into what the provision was for me. Not just waiting till the day came when I could get to eat again or drink again or preach again or run again, but no, for 
for this moment, there's something for this moment. And could you please, during your time here at Asbury, uh, wrestle through uh, God of miracles, God of suffering theology. A theology of power and a theology of suffering are not in contradiction. They, they must be held in, in tension with each other, but both are needed for your ministry, for your life, and for the church or the people whom you will serve. They need hope that he is the God of miracles. There came the day when my wife touched me and my swallow returned in one day. I went from not eating a bite of food, drinking a drop of water for a year and a half to having a sip of orange juice to four ounces of Yoplait red raspberry yogurt to the largest frosty that they'd sell me to a bowl of chili and on it went from there and it was a sweet day. <laughs> uh, haven't stopped eating since. <laughs> he is a God of miracles. But you know the gospel. There's also the story of suffering written right into the gospel. I'm a Satan. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's fairly, uh, it's an accurate but a fairly weak translation as I understand it. That same word follow was used when the Egyptians and Pharaoh followed Moses as they were fleeing from Egypt. It is a pursuit with an intention to catch. You are being chased, my friend, because your shepherd is so good, you're being chased. And you know what's chasing you? Goodness and love. Goodness and mercy. Every day of your life, and he wants to chase you all the way to heaven's gate so he gets to live with you forever. That's how good our shepherd is. Restoring your soul, righteous paths, knows his way through death valley, prepares a table before you in the presence of enemies, and then wants to invite you into his home for all eternity. That's a kind shepherd. You can come visit us in Colorado Springs, but after three days I'll say, don't you have a home of your own? <laughs> but our shepherd says, come on in. Mi casa su casa. My home is your home. So Super Dave was actually a taxi driver in Seattle. And he felt like God told him one time that every day that he drove, he was supposed to share the gospel once a day. And so he was doing that in and, and his own kind of bold and brash kind of way. And one day, one of the wealthiest men of all of the Northwest, an owner of a department store chain uh, that I won't name, came into his taxi already quite inebriated, had a big roll of cash in his hand, and the drunk businessman said to Dave, I got more money in my hand than you're going to make in a lifetime. And Dave thought, oh, great, this is going to be a long ride. A whisper comes to his heart. Tell, that's your one for the day. Tell him about me. God, he doesn't care. He's not going to listen to me. He's the one for the day. Tell him about me. Well, Dave says, you got more money than I do, but are you happier than I am? <laughs> and the man got real quiet. Besides, the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his soul? <laughs> Nobody said Dave had, you know, like, tag, right. <laughs> but he had the call of God, and the man listened. And at the end of the taxi ride, as the man was getting out of the taxi, he had been very quiet through the whole time. And the man said, you know, 
Nobody's ever spoken to me that way before. Dave should have let it go right there. <laughs> but he said, maybe that's your problem. <laughs> As the worship team comes back up, and we close with a song that celebrates the greatness of our God. I, I want to, I, I leave you with that story because your shepherd is going to keep leading you through every phase of your life. He's telling you the kinds of places he's going to lead you. But he also wants to tell his story through you. So there's lots of directions I could have taken this chapel today, but I just wanted to speak of my shepherd. And I challenge you to do as well. God's peace to you.